0: Episode 283 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, who are currently offering 30 days of unrestricted access absolutely free. To find out more, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section.
1: While an organization is really focused on developing its future leaders, don't forget to develop those current leaders because they're really at the peak of giving back to your organization at that point.
0: Hey there, I'm Jeff Brown. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. The idea of this podcast is to help you Get through more books in less time and know which ones really, truly need your attention. We do that by digging into these books through conversations with the authors. In a moment, we're going to sit down with Deanne Turner. She's author of the book, Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers. Deanne spent about three decades at Chick-fil-A. Trust me, she knows a lot about culture. I'm going to ask her to share about what her career has taught her about selecting the right talent. I'll ask for her thoughts on servant leadership and nurturing an abundance mentality. I'll also ask her how to encourage your team to make emotional connections with customers and plenty more. If you're looking for other podcasts to check out, might I recommend the Modern Manager Podcast? The host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart, shares practical advice for managing a team and how to deal with the daily life of being a manager. She mixes it up a bit with some guest interviews and also solo episodes where she dives into a specific topic, things like how to build psychological safety or how to do meaningful one-on-ones or how to establish team email practices, for example, they're all strong. But if you're looking for one to start with, check out episode 45, Investing in Meaningful One-on-Ones. I'll put a link to it in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. You can also go to MamieKS.com slash podcast. That's Mamie, M-A-M-I-E-K-S.com slash podcast. <laughs> Deanne Turner is a 33-year veteran of Chick-fil-A, Inc. Prior to her retirement in 2018, she was Vice President Talent and Vice President Sustainability. She was instrumental in building and growing Chick-fil-A's well-known culture and talent systems. And during her long career, she selected thousands of corporate staff and Chick-fil-A franchisees. Now, from that experience back in 2015 she released her first book, It's My Pleasure, The Impact of a Compelling Culture and Extraordinary Talent. Her brand new book officially out now is called Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers. Deanne, I'm excited to have you. Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Oh, Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, I've had uh, some experiences uh, very recently at a couple of your unnamed competitors (laughs) that left me Wanting. (laughs) I'm sure the powers that be at those organizations would would be mortified if they knew of my experiences. In fact, I I may indeed share those uh, with them. And I I know that they feel they've done their their due diligence in instilling a particular culture, but obviously they haven't. How do you define in your time from Chick-fil-A organizational culture? What does that mean ultimately, Deanne, to you?
1: Sure. Well, it's interesting what you just commented about some of the experiences you've had, because culture, you know, some people, one of the definitions I've heard is culture is what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're experiencing. I define culture as as a little differently. I actually define it as the soul of the organization. Mm -hmm. When you think about that analogy, you know, it's core to our very being and um, it's, it's who we are deep, deep inside and it's formed um, by some decisions we make about, you know, particular elements that we want in that culture. For instance, you know, what is our purpose? Simon Sinek says, start with why. Well, that is, that's the purpose. Why are we here at all? Why do we exist at all? I think having a meaningful purpose is the first step in this remarkable culture that you want to create. The second step is to have a challenging mission. You know, what's a goal that everybody is excited to rally around and go after and achieve together? While purpose doesn't usually change, when we reach a, a, achieve a challenging mission, we want to set a new mission, to go after a new goal. And then thirdly, I think an important element of a remarkable culture is a set of demonstrated core values. And you notice there, I say demonstrated rather than just a list of core values, because if we put something on the wall and we don't Demonstrate it, particularly from leadership, but actually everybody in the organization, then these core values don't really integrate into the organization. So it sounds simple, but of course the execution of all of that's very difficult.
0: Well, uh, Deanne writes extensively about rules versus principles uh, in this book, something that that uh, I learned a lot about as I read what uh, what she wrote. Deanne, describe what you mean when you say uh, something different happens, when, when people are free to operate under principles taught by leaders rather than being forced to be compliant to a, a stack of rules.
1: This is actually my favorite part of the book because <laughs> the insights that I had Um, Since I wrote my first book five years ago. And it was, um, it's funny, because it was one of the first experiences I had. And I write about it in the book of my previous employer and, and how, you know, I had such a demanding, uh, controlling boss. And everything we did was associated with the rule. And then I went to work for Chick-fil-A, and, and they did everything by principles. In fact, there were times, especially in my role as head of HR, people would beg for a certain rule. You know, it's like, why don't you define the dress code here? Why don't you define um, other certain things? And, and, our, and, and sometimes they were bigger issues, of course, than that. But the reason behind that is, is because it squashes collaboration and creativity an innovation when you start making people compliant to rules. So, let me give you an example. I was traveling not long ago at a hotel and the as soon as I arrived there, just by the way I was treated, I knew that I was in an environment where employees were required to be compliant to rules. Mm. And I can see a bunch of examples, but my favorite is regarding room service. Uh, you know, there's a 30 minute window of time in which they bring in your meal. And I was about three minutes away from the expiration of that window when I, I received a phone call from the room service attendant to tell me that she was on her way with my breakfast. So she brought it in, and I knew, I knew it wasn't good when the first thing she said was, I sure hope you have a coffee cup in here because I forgot one. <laughs> but, but after that, she said, oh, and I didn't bring you bread because you didn't check a box for bread. And even though it's included, now when people don't check the box, I just don't bring it. Mm. But she brought me jelly. And so she saw the strange look on my face and she said, well, I can go get you an English muffin. I said, I would be grateful for that. And so she left. But I thought about it. I thought, you know, when she called me to tell me she was on her way, that would have been the perfect time to ask me. Mm. Hey, I know she didn't mark bread and you know it's included. Did you want bread today? That would have been a great response. But what was going on there in that environment is that these employees were working under so many rules that they were beginning to make up their own rules and that's really toxic for a culture so it's so important to have a good balance of rules and principles obviously there has to be rules you have to have food safety rules and security rules and you know practice generally accepted accounting principles but at the same time employees who are able to use some flexibility will provide a lot better service to guests and customers
0: mm. You say that organizations that invest a lot in the culture understand that people decisions are the most important decisions that a leader makes. What What have you learned about selecting the right talent over the course of, of your uh, illustrious career?
1: Well, when I talk of people decisions, I'm talking about everything that relates to that, mm-hmm. whether the selection or the stewarding or the uh, what I call sustaining of talent. But when I think about selection, you know, there are really two issues there. There's the criteria and then there's the process. Mm. And my criteria is what I call the three C's, which is character, competency and chemistry. Mm. So what I'm looking for is character that matches the organization. Does this person's values align with the organization? They have a similar uh, mission, purpose for their life. Secondly, competency. I'm looking for competency that matches the role. And not just the current role, but because I'm making long-term people decisions I'm looking for skills that will match future roles, jobs that might not have even been invented yet. And then finally, I'm looking for chemistry that matches the team. How will this person match both the people that they serve with and the people that they serve? So that's the criteria that I look for in making people decisions
0: character, competency, and chemistry. I like that. That's something I look for in in all my business relationships and something I especially look for in those who I bring on as sponsors of the Read to Lead podcast. And one of those folks, as you know, is FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. It was 10 years ago this month when I began using FreshBooks in a side hustle, a side business I had started. And as that grew, and I eventually went on to become my own boss, FreshBooks, cloud accounting software grew with me and my business. And regardless of the business that you're in, I think FreshBooks can be the right solution for you too. If you are a solopreneur like me, there are no doubt things in your business you have to do that you don't really like doing. For me, having to keep track of accounting, the numbers, all that is one of those. One of the things I love so much about FreshBooks is it makes that stuff ridiculously easy, even for a guy like me. They simplify things like invoicing and tracking expenses and getting paid online. They've drastically reduced the time it takes to deal with paperwork for not only me, but about 5 million other people. Check out their free 30-day trial and get unrestricted access to FreshBooks for 30 days. Visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Over the course of, of my career, Dean, I've, I've worked for considerably more companies than you have. <laughs> I've bounced around uh, here and there. And I can say that the, the onboarding process, uh, in my experience, oftentimes is lacking. It seems like something that a lot of companies don't put as much time and effort into as, as they should. How do, you, how do you approach that process or how did you approach that process?
1: Well, you know, I do have a lot less experience, so I've can i watched how some other organizations do this and and have seen some great examples. But I have to admit, I see a lot of great examples within both the Chick-fil-A Inc. organization and Chick-fil-A franchisees, how they do this. But I'll just share a quick story with you about how Chick-fil-A does this. When the new staff members and new franchisees come on board, the very first thing they do on the first day is they take a mobile tour of the organization. Mm. And so, So they get on a bus. And they start at the very first location, which was in Hateful, Georgia, and they visit there and they visit different places depending on what's going on in the organization at the time. So it changes up, but they hit all the hallmarks of the history. They go to the first mall location there in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. They go to the chairman's office in the Coca-Cola company because Coca-Cola is one of our biggest suppliers and they talk about, you know, relationships matter. They go to some of the organizations like the Junior Achievement, the Chick-fil-A Junior Achievement Foundation center there that teaches young people financial literacy that Chick-fil-A built. And they visit where some of the places where Chick-fil-A's money goes to. But the coolest thing about this is you'll never go ask who's leading this tour. It's the CEO. Mm. And he believes culture is so important that he's the one who does that. And so he leads that tour. I mean, this is a over $10 billion company now, right? Mm. And uh, he leads that tour, and then he takes them all to his house for dinner that night, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. So you talk about great onboarding programs, but (laughs) how people start their first few days in an organization is going to set the tone for their whole experience with you. So um, being very intentional about making sure they know everything they need to know about the culture, about the role, and about their team is critical in those first few days. Uh,
0: What about when it comes to, Deanne, uh, recognizing emerging leaders within the company or stewarding uh, more seasoned leaders? What are some practices uh, along the way that you found uh, useful there?
1: Sure. Well, I I talk about in the book the difference between emerging leaders and seasoned leaders. Mm. And, And truthfully, There's a lot of information out there about emerging leaders, but sometimes we forget those seasoned leaders, and they're so important to the culture of the organization. You know, there are people who are coming along behind them that might have some skill sets that they don't have. But the truth of the matter is most of those seasoned leaders have contributed a tremendous amount to the organization. And what they bring, their number one commodity is their wisdom and their attachment to the culture. So um, being sure that at that point in in a seasoned leader's career that you're really – allowing them to continue their development so they can develop others, have them in leading mentoring programs and being involved in that, have them continuing to um, sharpen their skills. I like to say that they know the the difference in a seasoned leader and emerging leader oftentimes is the seasoned leader knows the difference between a new idea and a simply repackaged one. Mm. And many of them and I believe this because I believed it about myself, but that is the prime of their career oftentimes in terms of what they know and what they've learned, even from a um, people skills standpoint. And they have a lot to offer. So while an organization is really focused on developing its future leaders, don't forget to develop those current leaders um, because they're really at the peak of giving back to your organization at that point.
0: Mm. On the topic of of leadership, if we can stay there for just a moment, talk a bit, if you would, Deanne, about your belief in servant leadership, as well as things like nurturing what you call an abundance mentality?
1: Well, I think that leadership, the very nature of the word means that you're a servant. You're Mm -hmm. serving people if you're a leader. And, you know, I love the organization that I grew up in. And I did. I started there at 21. And under the influence of our founder, Truett Cathy, was really where I, I learned that. And from the You know, early stages of my career, I learned that the higher you go in the organization, actually, the more you're expected to serve others. And uh, when you're in an organization, when you're in the service business, everybody is in the service business. There's somebody you're serving, whether it's, you know, the team members and franchisees that serve customers or it's the staff that's serving the franchisees. Everybody is serving someone. You know, I tell the story in Bed on Talent about early influence in my career. And um, it was the very first national Chick-fil-A conference. We called it Seminar. That I was invited to as a 22 year old employee and my spouse was with me and we get on the plane, the chartered flight, and we find that our seats are in first class. Mm. Again, I'm a 22 year old hourly employee at that point. (laughs) And I thought there was some mistake, especially as I sat there and the Kathy family who owned the company walked right past me to take their seats and coach. <laughs> and you know, 33 years later, Chick-fil-A goes to their conference this past year and there's a chartered flight and an operator takes a picture and thanks to social media, we see these things much differently now, takes the picture of himself in first class, this operator's franchisee, of himself in first class as Dan Cathy makes his way to the back of the plane. Mm. And so that's how I learned servant leadership is, is that really the word servant's not necessary because leaders are servants and they serve um, other people in the organization wherever they are. And I think that contributes to a pretty remarkable culture.
0: Wow, I get, I get chills hearing you tell that, that story. That's, that's amazing. Well, uh, creating remarkable experiences for customers it gets a, a lot of attention in many business circles today. But you say that before you can do that, you have to create amazing experiences for your employees. We, we've talked a little bit about some ways to do that. Why do you believe that so strongly?
1: Well, I think the employee experience is going to directly drive the customer experience. And we've all seen this. In fact, the experiences you started this interview with, you know, it's likely that the employees that you were having a poor customer experience with were having a poor employee experience. Mm. One of the smartest things that, that Chick fil A's done, and I think it's the difference between them and, and many other franchised operations, is when Truett started his company, the idea was not to sell a bunch of franchise territories to a uh, award to individuals so that they could build their own empires. But it was really to replicate his own business philosophy, which was to be an on-site leader, investing in the employees and having personal relationships with the customers. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, he limited those opportunities to just one restaurant. And then later, it was two restaurants. And now there are a handful of franchisees that have three restaurants. But that's part of what makes such a different customer and employee experience is that on-site leadership that's really invested in the people, rather than somebody who's in a faraway land hiring general managers that, you know, turn over once a year. Many of these franchisees have led these businesses for 20, 30, and 40 years. So their longevity, their uh, commitment, all of that helps makes for a better employee experience. And when employees are happy, then they treat customers well.
0: I had the, uh, the good fortune to be there when the first Chick-fil-A in Franklin, Tennessee, run by Bill Fender. Uh, was I opened. Uh, yeah. And uh, to see that, that location grow the way it has, it's just been, been amazing uh, from one line, drive-through line to two. And, and as many times as I've gone through that line, I've, I've, I've arrived at the restaurant and will in the early going would think, oh my gosh, this line is wrapped around the building at least once, maybe twice sometimes. How long is this going to take? And 10 minutes later, I'm being handed my food. It's amazing to me how efficient that process is, and how inefficient it is at most other places <laughs> that you can go to. It just blows my mind.
1: Well, there's been a lot of commitment to um, helping speed that service up, and you know those team members and franchisees do an outstanding job of executing on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's turn our attention to uh, the customer for a second, inviting them into this remarkable culture. How, how do you? Encourage you mentioned personal relationships. How do you encourage team members to make emotional connections with customers? What does that look like?
1: Well, it's uh, there's some formulaic to it, and then at the same time, there's some opportunity for the team member to, to take that principle and, and make it personal to them. So You know, of course, they're encouraged to know their customers' names and to smile at the customers and give them a fond farewell when they leave. Those are basics of a great customer experience. But it goes beyond that. You know, um, Chick-fil-A employees often not only know their customers' names, you know, they know their regular orders and sometimes have it ready when they walk in the door after seeing them park in the parking lot. And they know their stories. You know, they know what's going on in their life and they ask them about how their their son's doing off at college or how the surgery was for their mom or, or things like that. They take a personal mm. interest and their customers. And all of that culminates into some pretty significant stories. Uh, One of my favorites to tell is about the situation that you may have heard about in the news out in Houston when Hurricane Harvey hit there in the fall of 2017. And a couple of Chick-fil-A customers were in their home and, and the water was rising. They didn't know what to do. They called 911 and the local police, but they weren't able to help them at all. And so they end up calling their local Chick-fil-A restaurant. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a team member there. The Chick-fil-A was closed. There was a team member that was working there and uh, thawing chicken to feed people in need later. That's often become the case in a disaster, even if the restaurant's closed. If supplies and utilities permit, the Chick-fil-A will open for the purpose of preparing food for first responders in particular. And that's what this young team member, Jeff Urban, was doing that day. He saw the phone ring and He recognized on the caller ID that it was Mr. Spencer, and he knew the Spencers and their, um, you know, he knew their regular order. He thought perhaps Mm -hmm. he's calling for his breakfast burrito with extra egg. (laughs) And so I'll just pick up the phone out of respect for him and let him know we're closed. Well, when Jeff picked up the phone, Mr. Spencer said, Jeff, I need two breakfast burritos with extra egg and a boat. Wow. And wow. so long story short, Jeff calls his human resources director. Now, this was not to ask permission. This was because he knew Cindy's husband had a boat mm. and sent the boat over there. Along the way, they picked up two jet skis to, to put the um, Spencers on so that they could put a few of their precious belongings in the boat. And they, they saved the customers. But that really, to me, is the epitome of the example of creating an emotional connection with customers. Here were two senior citizens in a life-threatening situation, and of all the people they chose to call, they called their favorite chicken restaurant (laughs) to help them in their time of need.
0: And I thought I had goosebumps before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you just see goosebumps every time I tell that
0: story. <laughs> and here's the funny thing. I, I read that story in the book, and I still got goosebumps hearing you, hearing you tell it. Well, um, I've got a couple of questions, Deanne, I'd like to ask you that, that aren't directly related to the book, if I may. Before I do that, though, is there anything else from the book or your experiences that you want to make sure that we walk away with?
1: Well, we've talked a lot about Chick-fil-A, but I want to assure you there are a lot of other examples in there, too, from the Mayo Clinic mm-hmm. to... Disney to High Point University to um, public supermarkets. So I hope that your listeners will um, look for those examples, too, because there are a lot of wonderful companies out there doing incredible things in the area of culture and talent. Mm.
0: My my Chick-fil-A fandom is coming through, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No worries.
0: (laughs) Well, Deanna, I I want you to think about uh, the books, some of the books you've read over the course of your career, or maybe you, you need to narrow that down to the last few years. What would you say are the two or three titles that immediately come to mind as having had a a big impact on you and share if you can how or why they impacted you as as they did
1: well first of all is integrity by dr henry cloud Mm. henry was a consultant or is a consultant to chick-fil-a and i had the opportunity to spend time with him and one of the things i love about his books is and working with him, it, it, you know, he's the real deal. And so his books, you know, come to life when when the author is living out what they're teaching. And I just think integrity is at the root of everything we do. It's it's one of the main reasons I stayed at Chick Fil A for thirty three years, is because I was a witness to the integrity of the founder and other leaders of the organization, and it was the real deal. That. It's the number one book I recommend to anyone. It's a foundation. It's the one I hope my children read, but it sets the foundation, not just in business, but in life. One of my other favorite books is The Speed of Trust by Stephen M.R. Cubby. and that's another one where I've watched somebody live out what they've written. That book and understanding, you know, again, I guess I'm, I'm attracted to things that are foundational in mm-hmm. life and business, and you can't have a remarkable culture if you don't have an organization where trust is present and you have to work on that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, you know that in, in every relationship we have, there are dings to our trust mm-hmm. and it certainly happens on a daily basis in an organization. So you can't ever say, I've arrived, we have trust in this relationship, we have trust in, in this organization. We have to grow that, strengthen that and that book has helped me to do that. And then lastly, you know, anything by Patrick Lencioni has helped me in my leadership over the years. Mm. Um, He's he's a a great author, a brilliant communicator. And uh, I can't highly I can't highly recommend his books enough for those who are trying to strengthen their leadership. Mm.
0: I'm a big Pat Lencioni fan. Uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, one of my all time favorite books. Well, uh, as as someone who is uh, speaking regularly, I think as many as 50 times a year, I'd be curious to know, Deanne, what some of your best tips are for delivering an impactful and memorable public talk.
1: Well, there's two things that immediately come to mind. I mean, we could list a lot of things, but the two things that immediately come to mind are, first of all, know your audience and connect them. Mm. You know, the the best experiences that I've had and the best experiences I believe my audiences have is when I've taken the time to really know who they are. And I don't mean just a a conference call before a talk. I do that all the time. Mm. I mean, going in and meeting people and talking to them. Mm. I did a talk a couple months ago. And by the way, I have to remind myself of how important this is. I get busy and I start moving fast. And, you know, I arrive at a location and I know the meetings going on that I'm going to speak at the next morning. And I'm thinking I really need preparation or I need some rest or whatever. But a a month or so ago, I was speaking for this organization and I usually I'm first thing in the morning and it was mid morning. So I went to the whole thing before I talked Mm. and I listened and I listened to the success stories of their organization. So when I got up to speak, I was able to incorporate their stories into my stories Mm -hmm. All their people by name. Mm. And, you know, it just may. I mean, I enjoyed it more and I know they did by their response. Mm. So that's number one. Make it personal. Get involved. Know the people you're talking to. Mm. And the second thing is be a storyteller. And that's nothing new. Everybody's talking about the importance (laughs) of telling stories in your own organization And if you're a speaker, that's really, really important. And one of the things I do, one of the little tips is I just collect stories everywhere I go. So my husband and I just got back from vacation and you know, I have a little notebook of things that happen to us that make great story to share in my messages so that I try to keep those fresh and updated. Those are the couple tips yeah. I would give your listeners.
0: Mm, love those. In, when I was in radio and doing a, a morning show, we, we called those notebooks and what we wrote in them show prep. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> we exactly. Always uh, were, we're referring back to stories uh, that were relatable and in real life. Well, I know that the uh, next several weeks – Uh, if not months for you, involve promoting uh, this book. But if you were to look beyond that, uh, any idea what's ahead for you and your team? Anything you're working on on the horizon that that you're excited about or can talk about?
1: Sure. Well, you're right. The next 12 weeks, I'm on the road continuously visiting with um, organizations and conferences talking about bet on talent. And it's a good thing I love to do it (laughs) because I'm going to be off doing that and then, um, after that, I'll get to work on the next book. I've got, um, notes and so forth, but I really haven't had that sit down for several days and, and hammer it out. I hope my publisher's not listening because they might think I'm further <laughs> along. <laughs> um, we really haven't released, um, what that book's going to be about. So I won't say right now, but, um, that's, that's what's next. And I do a little consulting because I like to keep my material fresh, but obviously speaking all the time and writing makes it hard to do too much, but I'm looking forward to ha- to bringing on a couple new clients and I've brought on a few consultants to help me in that. And, um, so I'm just looking forward to watching this grow and seeing where it, it goes.
0: Wonderful. Well, the book again is called uh, "Bet on Talent: How to Create a Remarkable Culture That Wins the Hearts of Customers." And her name is Deanne Turner. It's a lot of fun, Deanne. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your, I'm sure, what is a busy day to uh, chat with me and my listeners for a few minutes. I really appreciate
1: it. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
0: I encourage you to connect with Deanne on social media. Just search Deanne Turner on your favorite platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, and such. If you happen to be in the Nashville area or outside Dallas, Texas, be sure to check out Deanne's upcoming book signings. The first one happens Tuesday, September 24th in Nashville at Books a Million on Charlotte Pike. Then on Tuesday, October 8th, she's at the Books a Million in Grapevine, Texas, just outside Dallas. For comments, questions, or suggestions for the podcast, feel free to reach out to me directly. It's Jeff at ReadToLeadPodcast.com. And thank you again to our sponsor, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. Check out their 30-day unrestricted free trial by going to freshbooks.com/slash read to lead and entering read to lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember leaders read and readers lead.